<laughs> Sometimes you just got to let it out. You know, it, it's a it's a blessing to be able to to worship together corporately. You know, um, sometimes we don't realize what we have until we don't have it any longer. And, um, you know, it's a blessing. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. And uh, we look forward to hopefully many more opportunities. Um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to, to turn it, uh, open it to, up to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. And um, we'll jump into that text in just a little bit. But Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to continue on in our series, A Vision for Leaders. And you know, we're all leaders. Uh, we're either leaders in our home, we're leaders in our, our community, we're leaders in our workplace, uh, we're leaders in the church. Um, but every one of us has leadership ability and the opportunity to lead others. You know, one of the refreshing marks of young people is their idealism. Even if you know from years of experience that a young person's ideals are, are, are not practical, their zest, just the fact that they, they want to do something, inspires faith and, and hope for those of us who may have lost our vision along the way, somewhere in the, the many battles of our lives. You know, someone has said, ideals are like the stars. We never reach them, but the mariners on the sea, they chart their course by them. But you know, as you mature, you learn the real world isn't quite as perfect as you had once envisioned it. You know, there was one jaded pastor, I, I, I laughed when I, I heard this and, and I, I want to share it with you. One jaded pastor put it this way, he said, originally, my life's goal was a big, huge silver banner that said, uh, win the world for Christ. Eventually it became win one or two. And now it's try not to lose too many. I mean, you know, there, there, there's a, a nugget of truth in there. I mean, some of that is not uh, what we would, you know, we wouldn't say that, uh, but it's, it's a bit overly pessimistic. But there is wisdom buried in that comment. We, we, would, do, we would do well to think about it before we rush into service for our Lord. I mean, we've all heard Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. And there's many variations to it. I mean, there's one like goes like this. The other line moves faster. This implies all lines, whether it's in the bank or the toll booth or the grocery store or wherever it might be. And if you change lines, well, the line you were originally in is going to move faster than the line you changed into. Okay? Um, another one is that all papers that you save will never be needed until such a time as they are disposed of when then they become essential. Got to find those. The last one is this. When you're working on your car, any tool dropped will roll under the car to the car's geographical center. As far away from you as possible. You know, as one wise guy summed it up, he said, Murphy was an optimist. But you know, all these statements are exaggerations. They, they, uh, but they make us chuckle because we, they resemble somewhat the real world that we live in. Stuff like that happens to us. Things don't always go smoothly, even when we've prayed about it beforehand. 
You know, following Jesus does not guarantee a trouble-free life. In fact, it often gets us into deeper trouble. But part of maturity is learning to deal with the world as it is and not as we would like it to be. We learn from that. It's important that we understand that. See, this also applies to the realm of Christian service. I mean, it's easy for a young person to, or a new Christian to become kind of idealistic, if you will, about serving the Lord. Whether it's, you know, an opportunity to teach Sunday school or, or, um, or serve on a church committee or, 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 you know, work with the youth or maybe even, um, you know, go on a mission trip, those kind of things. It's easy to get stars in your eyes and feel like, you know, it's going to be wonderful to serve the Lord. It'll be working with other Christians we, who also love the Lord. And it'll be so different from the job that I had in the world where I was working with these worldly pagans. You know, so we jump into service only to find out that the water isn't just warm. Sometimes it's scalding hot. You know, one of the realities and one of the main reasons that missionaries leave the mission field is because of conflicts with their co-workers. Nehemiah 2 has some wonderful, helpful insights on the realities of serving God even though Nehemiah was doing God's will. It wasn't all smooth and easy. It wasn't all just all that, that, that he thought it would be. Studying his life will help us not to be overly idealistic and end up vulnerable to disillusionment. It will also help us to be realistic while not giving in to cynicism and dropping out. See, Nehemiah faced some real problems, but he moved through them with great accomplishment. I want you to write a few things down, and if I go too fast, I'm, I'm sorry, um, but uh, you'll have to write quickly. Um, there's a few characteristics of a godly leader that I just want to briefly give you that we find in, in chapter 2. I'm going to give these quickly, so just some observations. As we read uh, last week in the, the first part of chapter 2, we understand that godly leaders are patient and respectful towards authority. I mean, that's what we see in Nehemiah's life. He, he did that with the king. He was respectful and patient with the king. Uh, godly leaders also practice a lifestyle of prayer. This is an important one. All through Nehemiah, we see him praying, lifting his prayers and petitions to the Lord. Godly leaders are also valuable followers. You remember the king asked him when he would be coming back. He wanted to know because he was of value to the king. I want to say a life and death value to the king. Godly leaders are also planners. Being able to plan and, and, and do well in that. I mean, we can't just fly by the seat of our pants. We've got to, we've got to plan to, to be successful. We've got to plan for excellence. We've got to plan for the things that God puts on our hearts. Godly leaders are also humble. And because they are humble, they experience God's abundant grace. See, God opposes the proud. He opposes those who beat their chest and say, look at me. But he shows grace and favor to those who are humble. 
in spirit. And lastly, I want to say this. Godly leaders practice intentional solitude. And I want to pull it over and park right there. Pull the truck over and park for just a moment. You know, many times people think that leadership is equal to busyness. They think that, well, if you're a leader, then you've got to be busy. However, this is not necessarily true. And it is not what one does in the open that makes them a successful leader. But what they do in solitude. Our text says, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. It says, I had told, I had not told anyone what God was putting on my heart or in my mind. Literally, the word is heart. And no doubt, while Nehemiah was waiting, he was abiding in God's presence and allowing God to put the things in his heart so that he could lead the people effectively. We need to understand this. Why is this intentional time before the Lord important for us as godly leaders? See, it's not what happens. It's not what the Sunday school teacher or pastor does on Sunday morning that is most significant. It is what they do in their closet before God. As they study and meditate on God's word. See a leader is made. A leader is made by what he does in solitude. And a leader is broken by what he does in solitude. That will make or break your leadership. The amount of time that you spend with God. That's what we see in Nehemiah. So moving on here. On to our sermon series outline. I said I was going to give you several steps on leadership and, and, and what that looks like. The first step was, a couple of weeks ago was prepare for the vision. You know, before we can receive God's vision, we must prepare for it. We must be prepared to receive it. Step two is to define the vision. Every successful leader has three essential questions they must ask. What is our purpose? Who is our target? And what is our strategy? We've got to answer those questions. See, this, this plan, this, these steps, they inform not only us here in the church, but they inform a lot of things in life, in the workplace, at home, with others. If you're a chair of a committee, you need to understand leadership and how it works. And I believe that's vital because I want you to be to, to know and, and to understand what leadership in the church looks like. What leadership in the world needs to look like. Because as we carry it out, that's where we do our leadership. It's not here. It's not always right here, but it's out there. In our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we go. The third one, which we will talk about this morning, is step three, which is plant the vision. See, vision is a living seed that must be planted in the hearts of other leaders. This is so important. It's a seed that is planted and must be planted in the hearts of other leaders. You can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. Jesus didn't do it by himself. Oh, he paid the price by himself. But when it comes to carrying out the kingdom vision, 
He shared that and he planted that seed in others. You see, when God gives us a vision for the work that he wants us to do, he gives us a seed. He doesn't give us a full-grown oak tree. He doesn't give us a full-grown bush. He gives us a seed of an idea of the vision that he has for us. It's the kernel. It's just the, I wanted to call it the germ, but I didn't think ever anybody would get that. You know, they might be like, germ, ah! No, it's the kernel, it's the seed. And, and he hands this, us this seed and he entrusts it to us. And the seed has within itself all of the DNA that is needed to bring this vision to fruition. To, to where it bears fruit. It has it within itself. Sometimes we receive His vision in an area and then we run out and we try to gather fruit from it right away. We want to tell everybody what God has told us and, and we, we haven't sat with it. We haven't nurtured it. We haven't given it any time to grow. And we try to, we plant the seed and the next day we go out there and we want to, we want to bear fruit. We want to see where's the corn at. And it's like, take time, folks. Vision takes time. God's timing. The vision has to be planted if we desire to, for it to bear fruit. Because you see, seeds that aren't planted don't bear fruit. It has to be planted. We tend to be too impatient. And vision is a living seed that must be planted in the soil of other godly leaders. Read with me, if you will, Nehemiah chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 11 and we're going to read down through verse 20. God's word says this. So I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind, literally the heart, to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I re-entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. 
But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you how it speaks to us. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that that your Holy Spirit would convict us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Father, that we would see your word speaking to us, speaking to me, Father. Lord, I pray that this would be so by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you remember, there's three sets of leaders here that must be involved in this vision. I said you have to plant the seed in other godly leaders. And I would say that the first thing that you need to understand this morning is that you must secure the approval of the power brokers. You know, Nehemiah, the power broker, was a single person. It was the king. And up in chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 5, he goes before the king and he said, If it please the king... I would like to go and, and rebuild the city where my fathers are buried and, and, and fix the gates and, 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 and take care of that. And the simple reality was this. In order to fulfill the vision that God had given him, he had to secure the approval of the power broker who was the king, who was his boss, who was the one whom he served. He had to have his approval. You know, to fulfill the vision that God has given you, you need to secure the approval of the power brokers. And there are power brokers in every church. We may not think that, but there are. There are opinion makers. There are some that are formal. There are some that are informal. But they're all leaders and they're all influencers. And every church has them. If you don't know who they are in our church, then you need to sit up straight and you need to take notice. Because there are people in our church that influence others. And they they influence them, hopefully for good. But hopefully we don't have them that are influencing them away and, and for bad. But understand, there are power brokers. And before you decide that this sounds more like a um, secular politics lesson than a scriptural principle, let me show it to you. Because we see it right here. Nehemiah did just what I said. He secured the approval of the power brokers. You see, it's a biblical principle. Notice that in in verse 5, Nehemiah secured the king's approval for his overall plan. He laid out the timing of the plan. Verse 6. Verse 7 and 8, the details of the plan. And verse 9, the resources for the plan. So he secured the power brokers in that. He secured their approval for that. And you really only have three choices when it comes to dealing with the power brokers. You can get them on board with the vision God has given you. That may take some time. That may take some energy. Or you can fight with them, which is going to take more of your time and energy. 
Or you can try and outlast them. But really, those are your only three um, things that you can deal with the power brokers. Get them on your team, get them on your side, get them on board, or fight with them, or outlast them. Those are your three options. So secure the approval of the power brokers. Secondly, I want to say this. Secure the assistance of those whose help you will need. See, in any transition, there are key people that you will need help from. And you need them on board as well with your vision that God has given you. I mean, for Nehemiah, there are two sets of people who help with what he needed. The governors of those areas where he was going to travel through. He had the king write letters to them. So that when he came to their border, he could give them his papers and they would see that it was from the king of Persia who wrote, ruled over the entire known world at that time. It was from the big boss. And so those governors were willing to give him passage because he secured those whose help he would need. He also secured the help of those who had resources. The king's forest, we read about that. In verse 9. But I would say to you this morning, for the church, there are two sets of people whose help you will need in doing the vision that God has given you. The leaders of the territory you are going to go through and the providers of the resources. See, God has, has given this to us so that we don't have to work alone. That we don't, it's not all on Ridge's shoulders. It's on his shoulders because it's his work. But there's work that we have to do. And we have to, to work with other people in completing the vision that He has given us. And so we, we work together on that and we secure the assistance. Now, if you don't take the time to secure the assistance of the key leaders, you're going to cause three things to happen. You're going to create confusion in the church. When a recognized leader does not know what's going on, the result is confusion in the church. If you don't do your homework, if you don't do your planning, if you don't go and get the approval of those that you need to get the approval of, it's going to cause confusion in the church. Secondly, I would say this, you will cause leaders to leave the church because good leaders will not tolerate and put up or stick around for bad leadership. We've all experienced incompetence. We all know what that looks like. And good leaders won't follow bad leadership. You need to make sure that you're doing these things. It'll cause confusion. It'll cause leaders to leave. You know, a leader who's uninformed also feels unneeded and unwanted. So you need to do that ahead of time. But also you will cause great hurt for yourself because of the confusion, you bring this storm on yourself. Because other leaders are leaving, you bring this storm. Hurt for the doubt that it casts on the vision God has given you. And understand this, that wounded leaders do not make good decisions. Wounded leaders do not make good decisions. So secure the approval of the power brokers. Secure the assistance of those you will need help with. And thirdly, I would say seek the advice of your vision team. Effective leaders know the value of a small vision team. 
Every leader needs a handful of leaders who can dream the dream with them of the vision of what God has given them to help flesh it out. I mean, look at the effective leaders that we have recorded in the Bible who had a handful of folks, of those close confidants. Jesus taught thousands. He sent out 70. He discipled 12. But his inner circle had three. You want a model? There's a great model. David. He had an army of thousands. He had hundreds of select troops. He had 30 leaders, but he had three mighty men. Nehemiah used hundreds to help build the wall. Scores of leaders and a handful of people in his vision team. In this passage, that's what we read. He says in verse 12, And I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. He's talking about those those on his vision team. See, good leaders use a small group of sharp leaders for their vision team. A vision team is especially important for any leader who is leading church through transition times. Some A, a group to, to bounce ideas off of, to talk about things. How does this impact this generation? How does this impact those and, and this particular uh, element of our group? How does this impact our body as a whole? You see, there's some principles here from Nehemiah's work that we can pick up about his vision for the work that God had for him. Following in verses 13 down through 18, I would say these four things. The first one is choose your vision team carefully. Choose your vision team carefully. If you chair a committee in this church, then you need to surround yourself with people who can embrace and, and guide that vision that you have that God has given you. It's very important. Choose your vision team carefully. Secondly, I would say this. Work quietly behind the scenes. Not everyone who runs out front and says, pick me, pick me, is the person you want on your team. Some people have an agenda. And they want their agenda put forward. If it's something that God has given you, then you need to pick that team carefully and you need to work quietly behind the scenes, allowing God to develop and mature that vision. I think this is highly important. Secondly, excuse me, thirdly, survey the current condition. You see what Nehemiah did? He didn't go and he didn't just start building. He gathered a small group around him he went out and he toured and he looked and he surveyed the wall to see what kind of work needed to be done. I think many times we jump into the work anxious to see something happen rather than waiting to survey to see exactly what is needed and why. Survey the current conditions. And then fourthly, I would say share your heart and vision with that team. They're the ones who are going to help you carry that load. They're the ones who are going to help plant that vision in others. Notice also in this passage, it's not the Persians 
Who are the enemies? It's not the Persians that Nehemiah is speaking of in verse 17. He says, Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. They had become a reproach. They had, they had been a, a, a somebody that people were uh, ridiculing openly. Oh, look at the Jews over there in Jerusalem. Oh man, they stink. They can't even rebuild their wall. They're in such disarray. They are so disorganized. And it's not the Persians that Nehemiah is speaking of. After all, he's an ambassador from the king of Persia. He's sent there on a royal mission, if you will. So he's representing the king of Persia. It's the Sanballats. It's the, the, the Tobias. It's the Geshems. They are the representative of the surrounding territories of Jerusalem who do not want Jerusalem to become a power once again. See, those are the ones who are the enemies. And he's appealing to the Jews and their sense of disgrace. The sense of derision that they are held in by the local population. Nehemiah is saying this. He's saying, if you don't do anything here, you see how the ruins of the wall, if you don't do anything here, you should be ashamed. We're held in disgrace. We're held in derision. People are making fun of us. We need to fly the banner of the covenant of God. We need to fly the banner of the gospel. We need to declare to the world who we are. See, like all great leaders, he's motivating them. He's speaking to them. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember your identity. Remember your past. Remember your heritage. Remember who you are. All great leaders have done that. They've called people to remember who they are. It's easy to get caught up in watching all the news and all the junk on TV and all the people who want to spin it a certain way and spin it this way and that way. I'm thankful for national holidays that we have that recognize the sacrifice that true patriots of our country have put in for us so that we can be a free people. So that we have the right to, to a free voice, that we have the right to a protest, that we have the right to do the things that we do in our nation because people have paid the price for us. And you see, Nehemiah is calling them. He's saying, remember who you are. You are God's chosen people. But he's motivating them by reminding them of that. Notice too that he says, I love this. I told them, verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. (laughs) Folks, that's not just motivating by an ethnic pride. That's not just motivation by who they are. It's not just motivation by their wonderful history. It's motivation by telling them this is God's work. You want to know where God's at? This is His work. 
That's really what he's saying. This is God's plan. And for Nehemiah's his greatness, do you see? He is, as a leader, he is different from the greatness that we see of so many leaders today. He's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to Almighty God. He's saying, not saying, look what I have done. I, I got this from the king. I got this from the king. No, he's saying, you want to know who the king is? He's the king. And he is the one who has given me his grace so that we can do this and so that we can move forward. He's drawing attention to God, saying this is God's plan. This is the Lord's doing. This is God's work that y'all are involved in. So much was the, the motivation that at the end of verse 18, the people... The nobles, the officials, they, the priests, the Jews, they collectively said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Folks, this was an immediate response. This was a sign of God's blessing. Because when, when Nehemiah cast the vision... All of the people said, yes, yes, we want to follow that. You know, these jokers that he mentions here, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they had nothing in common. They were kind of in charge of some of the territories around there, but they had nothing in common. Kind of reminds me... Of the time with Jesus and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had nothing in common except their opposition to Jesus. Sanballat, Tobias, Geshem. The only thing they had in common was their opposition to Nehemiah. They just didn't like him because they didn't want to see the Jews. <laughs> they didn't want to see the Jews glorifying God again. As I wrap this up, you know, ever so often, our grandchildren may spend a night at our house. What a joy it is to see these grandchildren. One of our granddaughters, Emma, <laughs> she's just a toddler, but she loves to hear Tracy when she sings songs to her. Has a big grin on her face. You know, she just kind of toddles everywhere. She doesn't get around. She kind of bounces off of furniture. Kind of, you know, trying to learn to walk. But one of the songs she enjoys hearing is, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. I'm going to spare you the hand motions. But it goes, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the rivers are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Friends, this is not just a song for toddlers. I mean, that's a song for you and for me. 
The theology of that song is about the power of Almighty God. And like Nehemiah said, he is the God of heaven. He's the only God there is. He's the creator and the sustainer and the provider. And if you're building a wall, you're not, you're not building a wall, but if you are, God bless you. We built one this spring. I wish you well. But maybe there's a project in your life that God has laid on your heart and you're saying, you know what, Brother Ridge, I'm afraid. I want to say, trust the Lord. Don't be afraid. Trust the Lord. There's nothing my God cannot do. See, I trust Almighty God. I trust this sovereign God, our Lord and Savior. And I'm praying that in our nation today, there will be a great awakening. That we will see sweeping revival. That we will understand that the things that are going on in our land is because we don't have godly leadership that is leading our country. In every situation, in everything, we need to hear from the church. We need to hear from God's people. We need people living it out. But understand, now is the time to respond. We can't wait. Waiting for stuff to blow over and then be done with it. We've got to respond now. Because our world is in some need of great leadership. It's in need of godly leadership. You see, recovery and repentance is not something that we should put off. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Remember, there is nothing that is too difficult for the Lord. Changing a human heart, that's God's specialty. And understand that changing a human heart is often part of God's plan. I heard yesterday, one of our members came up to me and she said, I believe God is getting the attention of our nation. I believe he is using all of this circumstance to bring about a change in the hearts of his people and the hearts of the people of this nation. Folks, what is it going to take? Can it get worse? You bet it can. Could it get better? Absolutely. Absolutely, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Folks, we got to do that. We got to seek his face. So let's be in constant prayer. Let's engage in good planning as we seek to love God, love others. And serve our world. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you how it challenges us. And Father, I pray that you would instruct the heart of your people. That each one of us, Father, would would trust you more. Even in the strangeness. Even in the 
the difference of our normal behaviors. Father, we are transformed by the power in You, God. Not by anything else. Father, I pray that You would give us the courage to walk by faith and not in fear. I pray that You would help us to be humble. Father, to be good planners. Father, to to spend time with You in solitude. Father, to flesh out and define the vision and plant the vision. Father, I pray that You would allow us to intercede on behalf of this nation. Father, I am a sinful man and I live among a sinful people. And I ask God that You would cover our sins by the blood of Jesus. Father, I pray for a great repentance to come upon Your people all across this land. Father, that we would not be a a reproach and a derision, but Father, that we would come together. Father, that we would pray seeking Your face with all that we are, knowing, God, that You are so big that there is nothing that You cannot do. Father, we are believing that You will transform our church, our families, our homes, our lives, our nation, this world, by Your power and by Your might. May that be so as we continue to worship You today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.